Ephesians chapter 4, get your Bibles, open your Bibles, read your Bibles. Um, it's the sword of the Spirit. I'm going to hear that tomorrow, the Word of God. If you don't have your Bible, you are a defenseless person. Um, we are going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, particularly well read by Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. That was really, really great reading. Um, also, have a look at Ephesians 5, verse 1. Can anybody see um, the, a word that appears in both of those verses? Yes, Toby. Um, and it's really cheesy and a hackneyed old expression, but it is a good one. Whenever you, some of you guys know this, whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. Right, exactly. So it, it always points back to something before. And the, and, the, and the great thing about the gospel, right, is that the indicative precedes the imperative, which in plainer English is that in Christ it is done uh, before we have to do anything. Right, so he says it is finished, and that happened a long time before any of us were born. You know, we talked about the temple curtain being torn in two, didn't we? And the division between God and man being killed, and also the hostility between nations being killed as well. So that unity that we have in Christ is is something that He has accomplished for us. It is done. It is finished. And then, therefore, you know, we do live a Christian life. So please, you know, whenever you get these people say to me, "I'm trying really hard to be a good Christian." That's kind of a bit of a wrong emphasis, isn't it? It's more that I am walking worthy of the calling for which I've been called. That's chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus has done all this amazing stuff for me. He's given me his Holy Spirit. And now I'm going to live out a life of gratitude for what has been accomplished by Christ and what Christ is accomplishing in me and will accomplish through me. So just try to figure that out. That It's not just like trying to keep a load of rules and be a good person, but it's, it's living out the life of Christ for what he's already done and achieved through his Holy Spirit's power in you. So that's the dynamic that we're looking at here. But we are going to look at, you know, some practical applications now. And there's a lot of stuff today. So I'm, I'm, hopefully God will help me to get through it um, without being too long-winded. But we're talking about our walk today. So Jesus has died. He's risen. He's seated us in heavenly places with Christ. You know, we have the Holy Spirit. We have all the things we talked about in day one, our adoption, our holiness, our redemption, God's purposes for the universe and himself, unity that he wants to reveal, revelation to show himself to the angels as well, the manifold wisdom of Christ and the church, and also God's purpose in bringing praise to his glory because he's the most deserving of that. The whole universe is wending itself to that objective. And yesterday we talked about Paul's prayers that instead of praying for health, wealth and happiness, we're praying for an understanding of the hope to which we've been called, God's inheritance of us, our inheritance of him. Also, the great power that raised Christ from the dead that is working us and the love that passes knowledge. And we were reading, uh, singing about that, the deep love of Christ. Now we're thinking about these concepts, unity, how we walk in unity, how we walk in love and how we walk in submission, which is a dirty word, definitely in today's society. So, those three concepts we're going to be thinking about from chapters four, five, and a little bit of six. <laughs> no pressure on me there to get all that done. So this is the uh, topic verse, uh, topic sentence. God calls us to walk worthy of our calling, what Jesus has already done, in unity, love, and submission to one another in the Lord. Okay. Walk worthy of the calling. Okay, so you've got your old life and your new life, okay? 
So previously you were walking away from God. Like we, we started this early in our experience. Adam and Eve, what did they do? They, they, they took the fruit and then they walked away, didn't they? They went and hid behind the tree. <laughs> That's kind of work, isn't it? <laughs> God can see through the tree. <laughs> and the fig leaves and everything. Um, but it's, we're covering up our nakedness. What we've been doing from the history of time is covering and pointing. All right. So we walk, we, we, when, we, when we get exposed, we cover ourselves up and we say, no, I didn't do it. And they say, that person did it. It was the woman you put here with me. <laughs> you put her with me. You did it. And she did it. And then she's like, the snake did it. And the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. That's really, it, has to, it has to be said every time, doesn't it? Um, the old walk away from God. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, right? Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, right? The classic three enemies of the world, the flesh and the devil. We were just like walking dead zombies going our own way, just following every craving and desire of our own hearts, following the devil without even realising it. You know, most, if you work up to average person in Littlehampton today, are you following the devil? <laughs> Police? Um, but people are, you know, we've sided with Satan, haven't we? We've sided with Satan because we're rebels like him, um, you know, within our pride, you know, taking the forbidden fruit. And we are following the, the world, the course of this world. We go with all its values and agendas and, and it's about it's about my greed and acquiring things for myself you must no longer walk as the gentiles do in the futility of their minds um, pagans basically they are darkened in the understanding alienated from the life of god and it says in another place in chapter three that they're without hope without god in this world and that is so true isn't it? it's really sad that your friends that are not believers are without hope without god in this world you know really all they can do is get as much acquire as much stuff accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, and just try to enjoy life as much as possible and then die. And, and try not to think about it as well, really, without hope, without God in this world. What a wonderful thing to be a Christian. Even if your entire life is rubbish, <laughs> you've got eternal glory ahead of you, haven't you? Whereas they've got nothing. They've got just darkness and emptiness in the grave. So share the good news. Share the good news with the people who you know, without insulting and patronising and belittling them and mocking their beliefs, but try to bring them from the darkness to the light. That's the old walk. That's what we're doing. Stumbling around, walking dead, following the devil, following the world, following our flesh. But now in Christ, we've been made alive, haven't we? And we are his workmanship in the Greek poema, his poem. God's writing a poem for your life. Isn't that wonderful? You might think, you, you, some of the verses I don't like. <laughs> but God is writing a poem of your life. Created in Christ Jesus, the new man, for good works. Remember yesterday I said we're saved not by good works, but for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I hope yesterday you discovered some of the good works that he'd prepared for you to walk in. As we were literally walking up Box Hill, maybe there were some good works that you could do in terms of encouraging others and throwing a fizzbury and, I don't know, enjoying an ice cream to the glory of God. You can do all these things to the glory of God. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, interesting, Paul's like, it's not the Romans that have got me. You know, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm here for Christ urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So the old life and the new life. And the new life has some very practical applications that we're going to get into, right? In in Croydon, the young people there use vocabulary that I don't understand. So I have to go and look up Urban Dictionary, which is a bit of a minefield, some of it. But I am comfy on my ones. That's what sometimes people say to me, which I I think it means... What do you think it means? <laughs> what does uncomfy on my ones mean? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm okay on my own, Barbara. South London, exactly, yeah. Where do you live, Barbara? There you go, you understand all this. Thank you, I'm going to ring you next time I'm confused. <laughs> when I'm talking to Mandem. <laughs> and they're like, allow it, fam, I'm comfy on my ones, innit? I'll be like, Barbara? Are <laughs> <laughs> oh, you vexing me, blood. Anyway. Anyway. It's, it's, that's, I can only say it here, I say it now, I will be killed. Um, <laughs> anyway, are you comfy on your ones? Like, now, what does that mean? Like, I'm sort of happy in myself, I don't need other people, that kind of stuff. It's quite a defiant statement. But um, in a different sense, we're going to look at our passage now, focus on chapter 4 with me. So look down at chapter 4, and we're going to look at unity, right? Different kind of comfy in my ones. It says here, walk eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit has created one body in Christ, right? So we are united whether we feel like it or not, but we need to maintain that. We do actually have a job to do. Today, like Adam's saying, maybe you haven't slept too well, maybe you've had a few little niggles and arguments, someone's irritated you a little bit. Let's be honest, we're still sinners, aren't we? There are a few people that are like, I just don't really like that person, even though I suppose I should love them. (laughs) I don't really like them. And now you've got to actually make that effort to maintain that unity that the Spirit has brought. You see that? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's verse 3. And we all grow the same fruit of the Spirit to put each other first. You see that in verse 2? With all humility and gentleness. Not a bit of humility, not a bit of gentleness, but all of it. Right? With, and some, I think NIV says, be completely humble and gentle. Has anyone got NIV? Always be, thank you, um, Caden. Um, yeah, pa- ba- bearing with one another and love. And I love that, bearing with one another, right? So that's the idea of, the word in the Greek for patience, by the way, is macrothumia, which means big suffering, you know, macro means big. So sometimes people will be very annoying and jarring and you've just got to bear with them in their weakness, right? Because they're bearing with you and your weakness. You know, not snapping back, not being irritable, not making sarcastic put-downs, you know, Figuring out whether when you're joking at someone's expense, whether that's really they're enjoying, you know, they're enjoying it, you know, or whether they're not enjoying it. With all humility and gentleness, that's really hard to be super humble all the time, isn't it? You know, like I was so humble, they gave me a little badge, but they took it away from me because I wore it. (laughs) It's really, really hard to be humble all the time because we really are insecure people and we want to draw attention to ourselves and get glory for ourselves. But because we have been raised with Christ we don't need to do that so we can put other people first right we can maintain that unity unity is more important than your ego to be honest everything's more important than your ego and you know that like from watching football you know sorry to keep mentioning football and Michael doesn't mind (laughs) but you know when you've got an egotistical player and it's not so good is it you you need to be even if you're a top striker you still need to be able to pass the ball occasionally right and we we're we're a team we're a team so there's, there's no room for ego you know, there's no I in team. Okay, so we're all growing the same fruit of the Spirit. You know what the fruit of the Spirit, aren't you? You know, we've had two of them there, humility and gentleness. But you could also talk about self-control, you know, holding your tongue when you want to say something. You know, not taking all the stuff when you don't need it. Faithfulness, maintaining that friendship with that friend who is, to be honest, quite annoying. And they, keep, they message you too much or not enough. They don't message you back. And you're like, I'm going to drop them. You know, that's what the world does. We don't do that. We remain faithful in our relationships. We remain faithful in our marriages. One of my prayers for you guys is that none of you will get divorced. I'm divorced. And it's horrible. Um, so one of my prayers is that faithfulness is the, is the mark 
of your life and your husband or wife's life, if and when you meet them, God willing, maybe on this camp, who knows. The, the fruit of the spirit, you know, joy and peace. And that, that's what we should be growing rather than producing our own egos. And those things lend towards unity. And comfy in my ones. Now, that's the reason I mentioned that is let's have a look at verses four to six. Look how many times it says the word one. There's one body, one spirit, just as you call to the one hope. Remember the hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, in all. So we are comfy in our ones, right? <laughs> because we are united in all of these things that are true for all of us. Um, isn't that great? We have one God, one Father, one Spirit. The same Spirit in you is in the Spirit of the person sitting next to you, right? So you should be united. There shouldn't be any division in the body of Christ. You don't start hitting, your right hand doesn't start hitting your left hand, okay? Unless you're a bit weird, right? So that you shouldn't be hitting the person next to you with your words. That's like your right hand hitting your left hand. Okay, it's like cutting yourself. Why would you do that? So comfy in my ones, we are united in all of these things and we all use our different gifts. So we have the same fruit. Every Christian is called upon to to bring out the fruit of the Spirit, right? Everyone should be loving, joyful, peaceful, faithful, gentle, kind, and so on, self-controlled. But we have different gifts. Not everyone has the same gifts. And that is so exciting, isn't it? That we have people who can play the guitar and the piano and who can do entertaining things tomorrow night. And we have people that can cook and we have people that can run around and play football. And we have people that, you know, that can be really good listeners. And we have people that are kind of really smart and they know stuff. And we have people that are very practical and they can mend stuff and build stuff. It's just amazing, isn't it? We have people that can grow stuff. I mean, I've been talking to you guys here and I've met people that work in horticulture, uh, mechanical engineering, civil engineering, IT, uh, film locations, um, people that are speech and language therapy. Uh, what else? I'm just, you might be sitting there going, oh, do you remember what I told you, Neil? <laughs> <laughs> people that know about data systems and people that are all these kind of amazing gifts that God's given you, right? Philosophy, psychology, educational psychology. It's amazing. Counseling. I'm just trying to mention. Swimming teacher. <laughs> can do it all to the glory of God, right? You can do it all to the glory of God. It's just fantastic. God is such a, a colorful and creative genius, isn't he? Dance. There you go. another one. All these things that God's doing, right, in you. Use your gifts to glorify God and to build one another up, to enjoy one another's gifts, you know. And I, I have to say, I love going bowling with you lot because you were genuinely celebrating each other's strikes and victories and stuff. You know, if you get, yeah, with relief, yeah. <laughs> but it was really nice. It was really nice. I really felt like everyone was celebrating someone else's success as much as their own, you know. And that was really lovely, you know, because it, it is your success because we're united, right? So when one of us succeeds, we all rejoice. And one of, one of us has, when one of us grieves, we all mourn as well, right? So we've had a couple of people who have not been well on camp. You know, we should all be feeling that a little bit. Um, I hope you guys are feeling better soon. So let's be united, right? And use our different gifts to build one another up. Let's have a little look at the gifts. All right, so there's a little bit of a complicated bit about Jesus ascending and descending, but um, it's talking about Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, giving out the gifts. And you've got what's called the, the fourfold ministries, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Shepherds and teachers is the same, probably the same role, pastors, basically. And us pastors, um, is something I'm really... I'm really trying hard to learn and it's difficult, so pray for me. Our main role, right, is to, is verse 12, is to equip. 
Do you see that? It's to equip you lot to thrive. But unfortunately, a lot of pastors, what we do is we just do all the stuff and everybody sits there as a sort of, um, as a audience member, right? But really, if you can encourage your pastors and your elders in your church, what they should be doing is equipping everyone else to use their gifts. You see what I'm getting at? I, it kind of grates on me slightly and, and I'm not dissing anyone, but if I go to a church service and there's literally just one guy out the front doing everything and then, you know, and he's, and driving the minibus as well. Like it's, that's not what it's supposed to be like, right? You don't just do everything with your little finger, do you? You use all the bits of your body to work together. And so find out what your gifts are and use them to the glory of God. And don't, whatever you do, demean the Holy Spirit to say that he hasn't gifted you. It just might be that your gift is quite unusual or dormant or needs uncovering. Maybe you need to speak to somebody and say, Look, I, honestly, I just don't actually know. I can't do this. I can't do that. I, can't, I, can't, I certainly can't sing and I can't speak. I can't go up the front. I'll be like jelly, you know. I can't do any of those things. I guarantee the Spirit's given you something. And, and the job of your leaders and your pastors is to actually equip you to find out what that is and use it. See that verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We all have a role to play in building up the body of Christ. It's certainly, certainly not me up here that's doing the main job. The main job is in between the talks. You get that, right? That's when the building up happens. It's all these interactions that go on between you guys is how you're going to grow in Christ. This is just the sort of like little springboard, hopefully, to get you into that. And what's the goal of this? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. to mature, It's maturity becoming mature and growing up into Christ. And then verse 14, we're not going to be tossed about by all of the fads and phases that go through the world, all the brainwashing that's going on on social media right now and in, in, in the general media as well. Human cunning, craftiness of deceitful schemes. People are so confused in this world. We talked about that. Rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, it said. So, you know, I don't know why he's so salty with me. I just poke the truth to him. <laughs> I told him he need to wear more deodorant. <laughs> you know, that's speaking the truth, but is it speaking the truth in love, you know? And, and there's that wonderful picture of the body in verse 16, growing up and building itself up in love. So that first thought is unity in diversity should be our goal because it is God's goal. Do you remember that? Unity is God's goal. And because God himself is three in one. And, and um, Alice yesterday was talking about this and it's, I'm glad she raised it. Where is she? Let's see where Alice is. There, Alice, there. We're talking about how the Islamic God cannot really be loved because he's a he's a monad um he's 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 an absolute unity he has no uh relationship within himself like the true god does the father son and holy spirit so god himself models what he is seeking for us to become in the church the father loves the son the son and the spirit give glory to the father and we need to be like the trinity in our relationship there's unity and diversity in love in god and there must be in us as well now, okay, let's move on to love. And um, I was so eager to find this, I actually bought a stock photo. You know, <laughs> um, that's like just things you do when you're preparing talks, like rotten strawberry. And anyway, um, I, for me, this is the most powerful image that I can take away from this talk, though, that I'm going to try and apply to myself today. And that is um, looking at chapter four, verse twenty-nine. Um, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. I think in some Bible versions it says unwholesome and stuff like that. But the word in the Greek is rotten, as in rotten fruit. And 
let me finish the verse actually. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Um, I, this is one of my absolute all-time favorite verses in the Bible and it really humbles me. I'm going to read it in NIV as well. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. I slightly prefer NIV actually in that. One more time actually, it's so important. Do not let any unwholesome rotten talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That should almost completely eliminate moaning and grumbling. Right? Because when you moan and grumble, of what benefit is to the people that are listening to you? When you complain and argue, of what benefit is it according to their needs? Do they need you to do that? And yet we do it a lot, don't we? It's um, actually low-level anger when you're complaining and grumbling. It's, it's actually a form of muted rage. And it's not, it's not pleasing to God at all. It doesn't come from the Spirit. And yet it's very much on the tip of the tongue, especially English people, isn't it? We love to complain about the weather. And if it's too hot, oh, it's so hot. And then, oh man, it's so freezing. It's like we can never be pleased, can we? It's very offensive. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It's actually in the next verse. See that verse 30? Do not grieve the Spirit of God. Do you want to walk around grieving God? Making the Holy Spirit sad. The Good News Bible just says makes the Holy Spirit sad. So we've we got to put a, a little kind of turnstile almost, like a little, little guy with a little uh, barrier on our mouths. And think, hold on a second, do I need to say this? Is this going to benefit specifically that person that I'm talking to you right now if I share with them how annoyed I am about something? Like, you know, sometimes you need to vent to your friends, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I don't want you to be like, oh, I don't, I can't stand the environment. But, you know, sometimes it's actually helpful for your friends if you do vent to them because they, then they can reach out and help you and bless you. So, you know, I'm not, there's lots of negative speech in the Bible that is actually to the glory of God. Psalm 13, how long, oh Lord, must we wait? Have you forgotten us? You know, this is inspired scripture. You know, Job is inspired when he's saying the things that he's saying. Like he's wrestling. So I'm not saying don't be negative and don't pour out your trouble. I'm just saying think about, before you do it, whether it would benefit the person who's listening to you. And it, they could help you. So maybe it would benefit them to say, to be honest, I'm really fed up, you know? I just had such a difficult day. That, that could be said to the glory of God because they could be like, thank you for sharing it. Now I can like, give you a hug and pray for you. So just, just think before you speak, basically. And what I just thought was an image today as we go to Little Hampton or whatever, is to think that in your pocket, you actually have a rotten strawberry and a fresh strawberry all the time. And every time you talk, you can give someone a rotten piece of fruit or a fresh piece of fruit. And you just got to think to yourself, what, what kind of fruit am I giving them right now for my lips, the fruit of the lips that praise his name? Because literally every time you speak, you will give them the fresh strawberry or rotten strawberry. And that's in your gift. That's in your, that's in your control as to which one of those fruit you give. So when you hold out your hand with some words, think, I, I would love it if that person could walk away from that conversation with me feeling like they've been given a fresh strawberry or whatever fruit you like. Fresh mango, fresh kumquat, whatever it is. <laughs> okay, so... That was, that was my main point that God spoke to me, I think, was within the, the, within the remit of love, which looking at chapter five now, and, and thinking particularly about thoughts, words, and deeds. And I've been speaking a lot about words, because that, that's where I'm convicted. But the, in the old self, we've talked about this already, that you've got a darkened mind. 
You have satanic, long-lived anger. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Malice, lust, foolishness, and walking in the darkness. Contrasted with the new self. So you take off the old self, like smelly old clothes that you've, that t-shirt you have worn for a few too many days on camp. You get home and you wash it. Take that off. Put on your new clothes, which is Christ. The renewed mind, the mind that thinks differently from the old way. Godly, short-lived anger, forgiveness, a disposition to forgive. My instinct is to forgive you, not to hold on to it with malice. Sacrificial love, not lust. Right, I look at, I see someone good looking, right? <laughs> and I don't want to take something from them mentally, you know, like by objectifying them. It's very easy to do that. I want to think to myself, especially if they're a believer, but even if they're not, that is my sister, that is my brother. You see, guys, you see a beautiful girl, you think, okay, that's my sister. She's got the same father as me. And I want to see how I could genuinely love her rather than just sort of perv after her in my mind. See what I mean? Treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And I read a book on marriage actually about two years ago. It was really good. And he said, um, so when you get married, he said, um, always remember that you have a heavenly father-in-law. <laughs> and um, I thought that's really interesting. And I, you get that, right? In the sense that that woman that you marry, guys, is God's daughter. And so, you know, your father-in-law is going to be like one, questioning how you're going to treat his daughter. Do you get what I mean? And that applies before you're Most of you guys are not married yet. Some of you are, praise God. Um, but even the guys who are not married, you've got to be thinking, right, that's someone else's wife. That's not my wife. That's my sister. I'm not going to get into that way of thinking. I'm going to be the new person that God's made me to be and think about, I'm actually genuinely going to love that girl. Um, and same for girls to boys as well. So thinking about that, but also I want to talk about anger a little bit. So I think anger is quite a big issue for a lot of us, isn't it? Um, and the difference between godly anger and ungodly anger is really interesting, right? So if we look at chapter 5, um, sorry, chapter 4, verse 26. It says, In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Um, like sometimes people put anger as like one of the seven deadly sins but anger is not a sin is it <coughs> anger itself is not a sin because anger is the reaction to perceived injustice or something that's out of place right and that could be a very good thing like if you saw a film about the holocaust and you weren't a little bit angry there'd probably be something wrong with you right do you see what I mean you, anger's, anger's appropriate in the face of injustice the problem is that a lot of anger is sinful because you've hurt my ego, <laughs> right? So we've got to make sure that our anger is, is short-lived godly anger. And if your anger is going over to the next day with somebody, it's become satanic. All right? It's satanic long-lived anger. So just look at that verse again. In your anger, do not sin, right? So you're on the, on the threshold of sinning probably. It's a dangerous emotion, even though it doesn't necessarily have to be a sinful one. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Look at the next verse. And do not give the devil a foothold. Because if you let your anger go spill over to the next day, especially if it's personal anger because someone's upset me, then Satan's going to get you. Because now he's going to block that, that freedom of relationship that you have with God. Because you'll be singing the deep, deep love and I hate them. <laughs> You know, because that's what's in your head now. So you've got to clear it away, just for your own sake, really, if nothing else. You know, 
Um, and that's difficult because when that person keeps hurting you, um, you don't like that. And you think, well, I don't want to be a doormat. And it's very difficult. 70 times 7. And when do I bring it up with them? Do I address it with them? Certainly better to, to, re- to gently rebuke someone than just to hold, hold a grudge in your heart. Do try your best to pray about it and sort it out on your own. And if they keep hurting you, go and try to speak to that person. And if they don't listen, try and go with someone else. And if that doesn't work, tell your pastor and the church, you know, Matthew 18. But there's something you can do with anger that's constructive, but what it should be, short-lived. Okay? So that's thoughts particularly, and I, I just wanted to mention anger and, and lust and stuff like that because those are kind of normal emotions that people have. Replace them with godly anger and sacrificial love. Words we've already talked about, so I'm not going to go too much into that, but um, I do like that acronym THINK. We'll come back to that in a minute in the next slide. Um, and deeds as well. And I really love the verse here, uh, verse 28, this, again in chapter 4. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. It's such a brilliant trajectory, right? Because basically people in life are takers and, and they take, right? Because it's in our nature. When we're little babies, we just take all the time because we're the centre of the universe, aren't we? You know, no one really blames a baby for that because you're a baby. But if you have any of you lot, just start going, ah, give me my food, you know, like be like, oh, what's up, dude? You know, go get your own food, you know, because you're supposed to grow up beyond that, right? You're not, it's, it's ugly to be that when you're 21 years old, right? Um, so we move from being a taker, downloading stuff on the internet that we didn't pay for, like stock images, I did pay for it. Um, and then we move to working hard with our hands and doing, using our gifts that God's given us. And then we go into being a giver. That's the trajectory. And what the amazing thing about this is, right, is once you've shown to the Lord that you are a trustworthy steward, you're not a taker, you're a worker and then a giver, he starts entrusting to you more stuff. In my experience and my observation, it's no surprise that David has this farm to use, right? Is it? Because he's using it all the time to the glory of God. And, and God has entrusted it to him because he's a giver, not a stealer. And he's working hard to give. So just try and think about that trajectory. Am I going to be a taker today or am I going to be a giver? I'm going to use the things that God's given me, my resources. You cannot outgive God. Like try to be like ridiculously generous and see what happens. Like try, try to sort of punish your finances and give a lot of your money away. Obviously, fulfill your obligations. You know, Neil said we have to give our money away, so I'm sorry. Sorry, uh, gas company. <laughs> like, pay your bills, obviously, but, you know, and if you owe anybody any money, then pay them back. Don't delay paying people back if you owe them money, right? That's not honouring to God, is it? It says in Romans, let no debt remain outstanding except the debt of love. So pay your debts and everything, but try to be ridiculously generous and see what happens because it's the opposite to the world that says take, take, take. And Jesus says, you can be free to give, 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 because believe me, I'll fill your cup back up again, and then you'll give some more. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. So that's thoughts, words, and deeds, and it's all surrounded by doing everything in love, isn't it? Um, Last verse, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. (laughs) Just interesting. On that note, I remember a few years ago, um, I had an Iranian guy bring a uh, pizza delivery to my house. This is quite a long time ago, this. And he said that every day he said the Lord's Prayer. And I said, that's really interesting. Um, and 
He said, but I leave out one of the lines. Can you imagine which line it was that he left out? Yeah, Danny B's. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't that. That's a good guess, though. I like that. Yeah. Um, anyone else got a guess? You're going for it in your head. Say again. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What's your name? Sorry. Abigail. Abigail. Thank you, Abigail. Yeah, it's the second part. He said, I, I leave out as we forgive those who trespass against us because there's certain people in my life that I'm no way going to forgive. There's a huge problem with that, isn't there? <laughs> what does Jesus say at the end of the Lord's Prayer? Do you know? Right after the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. There. So we need to be in that position. Like, why should I forgive them? They're so annoying. Well, you want to be forgiven, don't you? And when you're walking around with a deep sense of indebtedness to how much you've been forgiven, like the parable of the unjust servant, you know, thought was a guy, then you can forgive people. You can let it go. Jesus lets go so much rubbish that you do every day, doesn't he? he do- and he doesn't get the hump with you. He, he is willing to have you back over and over again. I've done it again, Lord. Yep, I know. <laughs> I will strengthen you not to next time. Come to me, please. <laughs> okay, so we walk in love and there's so many aspects to that and you can hopefully God will bring to mind the thing that's important. Before you speak, think, is it true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, or is it kind? You've probably seen that graphic before, but if you haven't, it's a really good one, isn't it? I'm going to say something. Is it rotten strawberry? Is it a fresh strawberry? Well, here's some things I can use to guide myself. And if I can't fulfill all those criteria, I often think this with posting as well. Like before you post something on social media, do you think about it at all? Or do you just sort of act on knee-jerk impulse? Like why do you post the stuff that you post, if you post stuff? Is anybody here like completely not on social media at all? That's interesting, yeah. What was your decision behind that, Elliot? I just thought it was a waste of time. Yeah, that's legit. Anyone else got any? Billy, did you put your hand up as well? Who else put their hand up here? Yeah, uh, okay. Toby, why did you stay off it? Because uh, if, if I have other things to do, I would... <laughs> 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 I do woodwork in the garden. I just don't want to take that time up. That is, that is actually quite awesome, mate. That's really good. One more person. Who else? Someone else put their hand up. Who, who put their hand up if you're not on social media? Do it one more time, one more time, one more time. Okay, Eden, why, why don't you go on social media? Okay. <laughs> well, you know, there's lots of woodwork you can do in the garden before then. Okay, so. um, but according to Elliot, it's a waste of time. So, you know, but those of us who do, which is majority of us, use social media in some description, right? I've heard that this thing called Snapchat that you young people use. I don't, I don't understand TikTok with lots of dances on it. But you still think, okay, can, can I do this to the glory of God, right? And big question, when I post this thing, is it glorifying me or glorifying God? So if you pass your driving test, right, do you put a photograph, and this is an open question, do you put a photograph of you with like your driving test sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah I passed my driving test. 257 likes, maybe. <laughs> You're like, I'd be lucky, that'd be amazing. Lucky if I got that if I had a baby or had a wedding or something. <laughs> Um, what you know? Do you do, genuinely do you do that? Well, you could do it, but how, where's the glory going in that? You know, you're doing the Michael Antonio and like kissing yourself, but yeah, it's just just think, try to think about it a little bit um, before you post. Is it going to build? Is it going to big God up or is it going to big me up? Uh, and especially, is it going to put someone else down? And if you get on Twitter, which is like you know, that kind of swimming of set through the sewage of life, is it? Just like the sewage. You have to have a nose peg. Is there any good way 
to handle Twitter to the glory of God, I don't know. When you're going to say something negative on the internet, you know, it's not always wrong to be negative, but put it through this filter. Is it true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, and kind? Right. Last bit today. So we thought about unity and love. Love in particular, our thoughts, words, and deeds. Um, thinking about with thoughts, lust and anger, sacrificial love, words, the fresh strawberry, the rotten strawberry, and the deeds, particularly acts of kindness um, and things like that, and, and thinking before we post. Submission, this is such a dirty word today. Um, an awful lot of weddings now, for example, of course we don't do that old stuffy kind of old-fashioned antiquated medieval, you know, patriarchal rubbish where we say where the woman has a different vows to the husband. You know, we don't do any of that stuff anymore. Because well, we know better now, don't we, in our modern society? We know better than the Bible, apparently. Well, don't be like that, please. Girls, you are different from boys. You're equally valuable, but you are built different. You're designed different. You're designed to play a different role. You know, it's like not everyone plays the same role in the play. You know, the left hand is not quite the same as the right hand. You know, the, the kidneys and the, and the liver are really, really important. They're not quite the same functions. Okay. So just try to get that, right? Because society will tell you that you have to be equal in role to be equal in value. Like, I have a different role from you on this camp. Like, you are not the main speaker, none of you. You are all equally valuable to me. No more, no less. It doesn't matter that I'm doing this role. I will be judged based on how I've done this role before the Lord. That's between me and God, right? There's just no, no difference in value. David, he's running this whole farm. But you might think, well, I'm, I'm less valued because it's not an obvious role. Yes, your role today is equally valuable to everybody else. It's just different. And so we see in these verses in chapter 5, it starts off really important. And for some reason, verse 21 in many Bibles is put part of the previous section. I think it should be part of the next section. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay. And that's the heading, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. People do not understand this. Okay, so they say, I will respect my geography teacher when he starts behaving in a reasonable fashion and doesn't yell at, you know, yell at the class. And it goes on like that. You do not respect people because they're worthy of respect. You don't. I know that sounds, maybe that sounds a bit like, yeah, you do, but you don't. You respect people because that's the role that God has put them in your life to have. Right? So you honour your father and mother, even if your dad is an alcoholic and your mum is depressive and stays in her bedroom all the time. All right? I'm not honouring my parents. They're dishonourable. No, you, you honour them because, as it says in chapter 6, this is the first commandment with a promise. Chapter 6, verse 3. So that it may go well with you. It doesn't have anything to do with the character of your parents. It's the character of you. You're honouring them for the sake of Christ. You're not honouring because you're, you're honouring because Christ is worthy of respect, not because your mum and dad are worthy of respect. And the same thing applies in marriage. So, hopefully, in the normal course of events, most of you ladies will get married. Um, just by the way, if you have any doubt in your mind as to whether you should marry um, a Christian or a non-Christian, um, you you need to marry a Christian. <laughs> and I'm going to show you one key verse just now. In chapter 5, verse 7. Okay? Actually, a couple of verses. Chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. 
for at one time you were darkness. Notice it doesn't say you were in the darkness, it says you were darkness. You were darkness, but now you are light. Not you're in the light, but you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Therefore, do not be partners with them. You understand? If you, if you go out with a non-Christian, marry a non-Christian, you are light and you're marrying darkness. Say it again. If you, if you marry or go out with a non-Christian, you are light and you are marrying darkness. Don't be partners with them. My one and only book is on that subject. It's at the back. I've seen people's lives ruined by this wrong, one wrong decision that they make because they think they can evangelize and convert somebody because that person is so nice, friendly, funny, good-looking, wealthy, talented, whatever. We get it. We get it. We get the fact that there are loads of non-Christian girls. There are loads of non-Christian guys out there that are just less awkward and more put together and more everything than the guys on the camp here. No, no, that's not true. There's some very good-looking guys in this camp and very, very, very well-put-together guys. But the point is, we get it. The pool, the pool of opportunities is bigger with a non-Christian world, isn't it? I just haven't been able to find a Christian boyfriend, so I'm going to go and find a non-Christian boyfriend. Do not do that. Wait upon the Lord. Okay? It's difficult. If you're dating a non-Christian now, pray about it. Think about what I'm saying. Let the word of God convict you. Do not become partners with them. All right? You're going to have a world of pain in your life because you'll be pulled in two directions. And you'll be, if you're married, you'll be lying in bed next to someone you know they're going to hell. When you do get married, you marry someone that you're equally yoked with, 2 Corinthians 6, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, right? So you're, you're basically a team for Jesus, playing your roles, and the role of the wife, chapter 5, back to chapter 5 now, is to submit to your own husband. Hupotasso in the Greek means to put yourself under. It means to follow the lead. Like, I'm not doing that. No one's going to tell me what to do. Well, don't get married then. <laughs> you, you, that's what you're doing. You're actually saying, yep, I'm going to sort of surrender my kind of autonomy here. I mean, the husband surrenders his autonomy too, but the wife's like, now I've got a leader. I've got a spiritual head. Who, and it's his responsibility to look after me, like to, to, to lead me and to pray for me and to protect me and guide me and help me. And the thing is, loads of women marry men that are not as intelligent as them. Like the chances are, a lot of you girls will marry a guy that's like not as smart as you. Chances are you'll marry someone who maybe doesn't know the Bible as well as you. You might marry a guy that's not quite on the level with you in terms of godliness. That's possible. Although I would always try to, try to marry someone who's running the race so fast you have to run to catch up with them, right? Like, don't ever marry someone you have to drag along with you to church. And, you know, like, can we read the Bible? We have to. I want to watch the next box set, you know, whatever. You know, try and marry someone who's like on fire <laughs> running that race. You're like, oh, wait, wait, wait for me sort of thing. That kind of person. Go for someone like that, yeah, if you can. And if you can't find someone like that, kind of wait. Just pray, God, please, I want someone who's passionate for you. I want someone who loves you more than they love me. Yeah, I want someone who just like, who inspires me. That I want to run after them, you know? Because then, girls, you can submit to a guy like that, right? And one, one preacher put it like this, and I think it's really good. It says, the husband's role is to treat his wife like a princess, and the wife's role is to accept that. <laughs> <laughs> So, in a sense, if, if husbands are actually loving them, and then we get on to husbands now, right? Husbands love your wives. How? How do you have to love them? Just by getting them roses and chocolates and stuff? No, but as Christ loved the church, like daily dying to your own needs. Like, it should be a good deal for women, really, if men are doing their part, right? Because the guy's got to say, right, my wife is first in everything. Like, I'm going to die every day to put her before myself. Like, she's just, she's my joy. She's my jewel and my crown. She's, she's like my main mission, is my wife. If you look at chapter five, he says, 
Verse 23, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word, present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, any such thing, that she might be holy and blameless. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife, loves himself. Like it, you've basically got a guy to fully invest himself in your welfare. Right? That's what husbands should be doing. It's like just promoting the wife's interests and needs and welfare and helping to flourish as a beautiful plant in the garden. You know, That's what the calling of the husband is to do that, to be the servant leader. How can I help my wife to flourish in the body of Christ as we serve the king together? And if a guy's like that, a woman's like, I can, I can live with that. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and that's what submission means, is following that lead. And sometimes your husband's going to make mistakes. Sometimes he's going to go off course and become ungodly, and you're going to have the periods where you have to endure that, thin periods in a marriage, tense periods. But it's worth it, because in all of those ways, you're honouring Christ. So even, even if you were, even if somebody was to be married to a non-Christian, and 1 Corinthians 7 says, if you happen to be married to a non-Christian, stay married, you can still submit to your husband out of fear of Christ to honour the Lord. Now, I'm thinking that this talk is going to promote some questions. So <laughs> this is the time to start thinking about and I'll put my number up on the screen at the end. If we have our Q&A tonight, you might want to say something about it. So we have different roles to play, children and parents as well. I've already talked about that a little bit. Some of you guys are going to become parents pretty soon. Joe's already got an 11-month-old son. Where's Joe? He's here somewhere. I think he is. Maybe he's not here. Maybe he's working today called Rupert. So he's already experiencing that calling to nurture his son, but not to provoke his son. And the last bit as well is about when in the world of work, which actually, if you think about it, takes up a large part of your life, doesn't it? And there's this beautiful bit here. It talks about slaves um, and masters and or bond servants as it is here. And again, um, I remember seeing ages ago, it says um, it was was quite an irreverent cup that was a non-Christian had made this cup. And it it said something like, Jesus is coming, look busy. Do you know what I mean? And the point is a lot of people, they only work hard when they think that the eye of their boss is on them. Do you see that in verse six? Not by the way of eye service as people please. This is chapter six, verse six. But as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So if you've, most of you guys have got a job or a part-time job at least. Do you have a nice boss? Do you have an average boss? Do you have a terrible boss? Isn't that that film, Horrible Bosses? I'm not sure I'd recommend it. But most of the time in life, you're going to have a boss or a, a professor at uni or a tutor or whatever it is that isn't very good. Why should you follow their direction? Because you're obeying the top boss. Do you see that? Verse 9. Masters do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he is both their master and yours in heaven and there's no partiality with him. So I, I follow my boss's directions because I've got a top boss. And he's watching me and he's happy with what I'm doing, even if my middle manager guy is really horrible. You see what I mean? Know your, be known in your workplace as the person that always does what the boss asks you to do, even if everyone else isn't in the water cooler going, he's such an idiot, I hate him, right? You're the guy that doesn't do that. You do not slag off your boss. You obey your boss, even though he's no good. You follow your teacher's directions. You do those assignments, even though no one else wants to do it. Everyone else is grumbling and complaining. Why are you doing it? The top boss is watching. Jesus Christ is your top boss. Submission is strength, not weakness. You're not tapping out and, you know, being wrestling and tapping out. You're not submitting because you're being forced to. You're submitting because you love Jesus. 
Wives voluntarily submit to their husbands because they love Jesus. So, hus- by the way, the husband's thing, husband, here we go, you need to be submitting to me. Don't get into that. <laughs> Equally, wives, you need to be loving me. <laughs> we do it for the sake of Christ. It's a voluntary thing. We submit to sinful human beings because in doing so, we serve a perfect Lord. We submit to sinful human beings because in doing so, we serve a perfect Lord. I've got to finish. God calls us to walk worthy of our calling in unity, love and submission to one another in the Lord. Thank you for listening to me today. It's been a bit longer because we covered a lot of material. Um, It's your opportunity now to do what we do every day, which is to write down one thing. Um, Although somebody said to me yesterday, I want to do all three. So do all three if you want. Um, Unity, love and submission. Is God calling you to make up with somebody today that you've fallen out with? To make every effort to maintain the bond to the spirit? Where are you speaking the truth in love? Is there a relationship where you need to be either leading well or submitting? Maybe it's like, God, I don't know if you're going to, when I'm going to get married, but please make me a godly husband that's worth following. You know, rather than saying, please find me Miss Wright or Mr. Wright, (laughs) pray for yourself that you'd be worth marrying. That kind of thing. So let's have a minute to do that.